is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Today, we're going to talk all about spikes. We're going to try to break this up into three separate conversations. So depending on what your interests are, you can jump right into the part you want. Uh, Stephen Cavalieri is here. Steve, thank you for taking time out of your day. Ah, thank you for having me. Um, so, so this was all spawned by you. And before we get into it, I just want to say that listening to the conversation where this came up, it was interesting how even within Leading Agile, people's interpretation of what spikes are and how they've evolved was different. Seems to be yeah. a complicated topic. It honestly, it's not that complicated. It's just <laughs> there's there's lots of um, preconceived notions of what spikes are, what they're meant to do, uh, and and people have carried that over um, into into our uh, world. Okay. All right. So what? So the way we're going to break this up in a minute is we're going to talk about basics of what spikes are. Then we're going to talk about estimation, and then we're going to talk about how how your use or understanding of spikes evolves as you move through the leading agile base camps. Um, and I will put in the show notes timestamps in case you want to jump to a particular part of this conversation. But before we do that, um, Stephen, would you mind giving a little bit of background on yourself and the work that you're doing at Leading Agile for the folks that are not familiar with you? Sure. So I am Stephen Cavallari, as was mentioned. Um, I have been working here for about three and a half years as a technical consultant. Um, before that, I was a developer for many years, uh, working anything from you know Angular front ends, JavaScript front ends, uh, back ends um, from a variety of languages. Um, but yeah, mostly centered around agile development, agile software development, and uh, mainly focusing. My love was refactoring and, and testing uh, in all of those cases. Okay. So, so how has your job evolved from being when you were a developer till now? Like, what's the difference between the work that you're doing. So one of the things that I loved doing when I was a developer uh, was taking younger developers, right, the junior developers, and, yeah. and kind of coaching them on different topics, right? Like teaching them and seeing them have that aha moment, right? So um, at Leading Agile here, I'm, I'm now able to do that with more people, right? okay, uh, more developers at other companies. Um, getting that aha moment is what I really strive for. Um, so teaching them things like pairing and TDD and stuff like that. Correct. Yep. Okay. So we're going to talk about spikes. Um, I would like to start out by offering the basic definition that I share in class and see how much uh, angst this gives you as somebody who's <laughs> way more expert at it than me. I, I, so sure. I, I talk about spikes to an audience of people that are often not developers and they're in the CSM or CSPO class. And I say that spikes are something that evolved out of software development, extreme programming. Initially, it was about solving a problem, like creating prototypes, picking which one you were going to use, or making a decision about some, some way to move forward. And that the way that they've evolved for a lot of scrum teams is it could be something you do for research or something you do to you know test out two different ideas, or if you can't figure out how to deal with a dependency or break up a product backlog item into this, you know, digestible pieces, you could plan a spike for that. I tell them it must be time boxed and it must produce a decision you can take action from. And I do not say that it has, I, I, in my opinion, it could be attached to a, to a product backlog item or a thing on its own. Um, and we're going to talk about estimating. I've never talked about estimating them before, but how <laughs> does, how does that part so far, how much ir irritation does that give you? Uh, not as much as you probably think. Um, okay. So you're, you're right in line. I think an easier way to sum that all up, right, yeah. is an experiment. Okay. 
right? A spike is an experiment you run to figure something out, right? You have an hypothesis of how something's going to work. Um, and then you run the experiment to see if it actually works the way you need it to. So you brought the example of uh, seeing how um, things interact with each other, right? Um, you can do the same thing, right? So how do you talk to this API? Well, we've never used this API before, right? I'm okay. talking about from a more software end of things, right? That's my, my background. But, so, but you, but so that would include researching how the API works, trying to see mm -hmm. what happens when you plug your stuff into it, things like that. Correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah, you have to do that background research to make sure that you're, you know, you can probably just cut it off right there. If it's not, if you do research for, you know, 30 minutes and find out it's not the right thing, don't do it, right? Stop done. it right there. Okay. You wasted 30 minutes, well, wasted, quote unquote, uh, 30 minutes of your time rather than, you know, uh, maybe a sprint of trying to implement this thing when it's not going to work for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. So my best, my best explanation for a spike is just replace spike with experiment. Okay. Okay. And how about the time boxed and must produce a decision you can take action from? Are you okay with that? Time box? Most definitely. Right. Um, and we'll get to this in, in the later, uh, bit when we talk about estimation and also through the base cams, but in the beginning, right. Time boxing is, is huge. We, we had, Keep it to, I like to say under four hours, right? Um, okay. If you have anything over four hours, then it might deserve another spike, right? Um, but definitely nothing more than a day, right? If you if you can't really make a decision oh. on, a, on a thing in more than a day, your spike is too large. Your question you're asking, right? The thing that you need to it's produce an answer for is too big, right? Oh, that's Your scope good. of the okay. story, your spike is too big. All right. So I um, always, I always, my, my concern is I don't want people having a spike and then saying at the end of the spike, our decision is to have another spike. Like we had a <laughs> meeting to decide to have a meeting. Um, but I get people who will say like, we run a spike for a sprint or two. I was like, what? <laughs> That's all these people are going to do for two weeks is like, try to figure it. That seems too massive to me. And I guess maybe that's the, the question's too big. Yeah, it, it usually comes down to the question you're trying to produce an answer for. So the thing that you mentioned where the, one of the goals for the spike is to produce an outcome, right? To produce something yeah. that's actionable. That is very true. Um, you want, and I, I usually help my teams by every spike that you put in your backlog must be in the form of a question. Ah, okay. Right? You, can't, you can't just say, I want to run a spike on, I don't know, some, you know, technology or whatever, right? It has to be, why are you wanting to run the spike? What is the thing you're trying to get out of the spike? What's okay. the question you're trying to uh, answer? And now the what, outcome is that uh, response, right? The okay. actual thing. Now, what about in the middle of, let's say if it's a scrum team, they're in the middle of the sprint and they just, I've, I've heard people talk about this, like, well, we, you know, we get confused, so we spike it. And it, when they say that, it usually means so that we, we open up this, this box of time that has no end where we can just do research and talk about things and not worry about it, but just explore. I mean, you would plan a spike, right? You don't just suddenly like decide to have one in the middle of doing something. Correct. Now, there might be cases where um, you haven't done your research and the story might not be ready yet. Um that's that's more of a failure mode on the refinement process, right? Okay. So that might be a retro that you want to bring in, be like, hey, you know, we we tried to do this and we weren't ready for this story um, because refinement wasn't ready, right? We didn't okay. we didn't do our work back in refinement, um, and we had to do some research on the fly. Now, that's that's a for me a failure mode, right? We yeah. don't want to work in that in that area. So 
yes, you might hear like we had to run a spike on this. Like it was a impromptu thing we had to do, but that should be a sign that says we have to go fix ourselves in other areas. And most likely it's in refinement. Yeah. You want to talk about that in the retrospective and figure out why that happened that way. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. Um, Now, what about, I just want to just check on this one thing. What about if there's a product backlog item that they can't figure out how to break down? I usually suggest to people that if the thing in the backlog is going to take more than three days to get into a shippable state, you need to break it down. And if you need to, you know, if you see something coming up that's too big and you need to plan a spike to look at different patterns and figure out how you could cut it up, that that's an okay thing to do. Do you agree with that or is that? Yeah. So, right. So, the experiment, right? We're running this experiment to help us do something. And that's to reduce the risk of a story. Um, you know, this story is too large. It provides, usually when we have a larger story, a larger pointed story or a larger thing, um, usually carries a lot of risk associated with it, right? Um, either we don't know what we're doing with it, we have to find out and research it, um, or it's just gonna take a lot of time, right? But when we run this experiment, when we run this spike, we're helping ourselves reduce that risk, okay. right? Reduce that risk of that story. So we can actually figure out ways to potentially break the story up into smaller pieces. Okay. We start maybe even like doing a little bit of the story just ahead of time just to see it again, spiking it um, to see if like this is the right path of how we can break this up. If it is great, let's go back to refinement, break that story up appropriately, right? Yeah. And reduce that risk overall and be able to deliver in that one to three days uh, time frame. Okay. All right, I got one more before we move to estimation. Unless you sure. want, I mean, you can add anything you want too. But um, who calls the spike? Is it the development team? Would this come from a product owner, or somebody else? Like anyone, anyone can call a spike. Um, okay. it, it's not limited to uh, a single role on the team. Um, it can be called by anyone on the team to to do it. Um, again, we we talked about this already, but don't call it mid sprint, right? If you're looking yeah. at something, it usually happens in refinement. You want to call it then. Don't be like, I don't know what we're doing, right? <laughs> like Spike. in the middle of the sprint. Exactly. That's not what we want to do. We want to, we want to make sure these are uh, thought of ahead of time, right? Yeah. Given, given some thought before we just go and play the spike. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that thing about calling it in the middle seems like a, I don't know, like a panic button people would push to just give themselves an out for delivering the thing. Um, yeah. And it also ruins, you know, it, it, it not doesn't ruin, but it, it also has potential risk where we, you know, don't deliver. We don't make and meet our commitment, which we can get to when we get to the base camp talk, yeah. but we don't make and meet our commitment then because we're now pushing things back. It's taking up some time. Yeah. Um, We've wasted yeah. some time. Okay. Um, do you have any, before we move on to estimation, anything that we should talk about that I, that we left out so far? No, no. I think the only thing I wanted to hit on, I, I just did at the very end there was the, okay. um, the risk, right? Reducing the risk is, is really why we play the spikes. Okay. Yes, there are experiments, but they're experiments why to reduce risk with delivering something. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's also the same reason we're running in sprints is to reduce the risk overall. We produce a thing to get feedback on it. Um, I, I like the idea of the experiment. I always talk about each sprint as two experiments, delivering value for the customer and working better as a team. And now mm-hmm. there's like experiments within those experiments, <laughs> right? Experimentception. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly. Um, all right. So let's talk about estimation. I don't, I'm not somebody who has strong feelings about this, um, but I don't, I have not seen people estimate spikes as separate things. 
Um, but I know that this is something you've, you've spent some time talking about. So would you be willing to share your thoughts on estimating spikes? <laughs> this, this came back to uh, a conversation I had with one of our other consultants, Michael Thompson, and um, we were coaching a base camp one team uh, together and we, we had this idea. I had an idea and he had another idea of how to work with spikes, right? He's been from the school of you don't estimate spikes. They, they don't provide um, any tangible value to the customer, right? That's oh. what his. <laughs> That's a rabbit hole coming up. Go ahead. It, it is very much a rabbit hole. Um, but I believe that they take some, some time and, uh, you know, they are, um, you know, they're time boxed, right? So they take some, time, some capacity of your sprint. Right. Okay. If we look at the um, your metric of your velocity, right, mm-hmm. that velocity is going to be impacted by running one or more spikes. Sure. Because right? you don't have that's based off, let's say, forty hours for each developer, whatever. Right. Let's say fifty points is my usual go-to for this. Um, so the idea that he had, right, and, and it's a perfectly valid argument is you reduce that capacity, right? Reduce that velocity. So from 50, you go to 45, right? Yeah. Because, um, and, and, and I want to add some color commentary. Sure. That's something that I would personally have no problem saying to somebody in a sprint review, we did less points in this sprint because we planned a spike to figure out how to do whatever thing that's coming up. Sure. And that's a valid argument. I'm not saying that that's, you know, wrong to do, right? right? In fact, that's probably what I would do on my teams that I run. Right. If I was ever working as a developer again, I'd be doing that. Yeah. Um, one of the approaches that I've taken as uh, a coach here at Leading Agile um, is trying to figure out how to get teams to understand that spikes they take up from some capacity. Right. If we just say it's zero points, they're gonna. What I found is they 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 don't see it as oh we have to reduce our capacity from fifty to forty five or whatever number you reduce it by. Yeah. They just say oh well we have to do a spike and fifty points worth of work. Right. Okay. Um, wait, wait, wait. I want to. I want to <laughs> ask a question because this is, sure. I think, a really big deal. Um, you mentioned value earlier, and mm-hmm. and to me, anything that the team. This is my own personal opinion, not a leading agile policy, but anything the team is going to do, including setting up their desks, contributes to value or their ability to deliver value. So it has a worth. It does take up time. But if the team feels like they're going to do a thing that's going to be a spike that takes away from the points they can deliver, and they still feel like they have to deliver the same amount of points, then they do not see value in their own time and the work that they're doing, or they believe management does not see value in it, which to me is a completely separate thing than value for the customer. You and I agree with this. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, everything we do is valuable to the customer in some way. Okay. Um, yeah, that that is. Yep, I believe that. <laughs> okay, but there's some sort of dysfunctional thing where there's a perception perception that, um, it, it's like it, at a consulting company where you're expected to be billable for forty hours and then do like twenty hours of administrative work on top of it that you don't. Yeah, of course. For. Yeah, you don't you don't do that every time you go to uh, no. Come on. <laughs> um, it, it it is, and it's something we we probably help coach the teams and, and coach the product team and the organization as a whole um, to see is that we have these 
the team can deliver something. Everything that we do we give to the team is valuable for them as an organization. Yeah. Um, and we wanted them to stop looking at it as like, this is not valuable to the client because it's not going to be delivered. Like it, it's helping them reduce the risk that they uh, have. Right. We talked about this in the last section um, to help them deliver better. Yeah. Right. Whether that's better quality software, whether that's better software in general, like a better targeted feature, for example, um, better implemented feature, whatever it is, right. It's helping the customer in some way in the end. So there is some value to this. Um, and, and in the same way that reading through the documentation for some new API that you're going to work with, I mean, that is part of the work that you have to do to be able to do it. And you don't have to do that on your own time. I mean, that's part of the work we plan into the sprint. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, agreed. Okay. So, so back to estimating. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. So the other side of that, right? Um, if we take Michael's side. Yeah. And it's not just Michael's side, but he's the one I had the conversation with, which was a great conversation. I keep going back to it. It's great. It's... Um, but then there's my side, right? Which is the compensating control that I have, right? Which is if you have a spike, everything is pointed. There's no zero points in a sprint, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that even spikes, even though they're time boxed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, get some value put on them because they take up some amount of effort to do, right? Yeah. Um, now it's different than a time box, right? The time box says it's this many hours which you should have, right? I'm not saying you don't do that part either. Yeah. But just put a number on there so that you can see that it takes up some amount of space within your bucket, right? If you look at the velocity as a bucket of things, like the 50-point bucket, we don't want to overfill it, right? With things, right. which you can do if you have zero points. You can just stack on zero-point things at the very top of that, which is what I find a lot of teams doing. Yeah. Which is, um, it's the thing that's weird is it's almost like they don't respect the work enough to allocate space for it. I mean, if you, if you separate the idea of I have to be fully utilized and fully billable, there's things they have to do and they're not showing it enough respect to carve out space for it to exist. In low trust environments, in low trust organizations, we find a lot of the time there's this pressure to deliver something. Yeah. Right. And it has to be tangible. Spikes might not be that tangible for some organizations. And that's why they feel this pressure to, oh, we're running a spike. We still have to do the other stuff as well. Yeah. We still have to deliver something to the customer or by the end of the sprint. Or it's valuable to us, but not to the customer. Right. Exactly. Which is messed up. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. This is why we're there. Right. We're trying to help them uh, see that there's another side of the coin. If we're estimating this stuff, I can see where it might be a little bit confusing how to estimate, you know, us sitting in a room figuring something out in comparison to actual code that we have to write or tests that we have to run or something like that. Do you have guidance on how people should size spikes in yes. comparison to other things? Yep. We separate points and time, right? They're two separate things. We don't say that, you know, one point is one hour or two points is four hours. We don't, we don't do that. Right. So, one of the things that I recommend uh, teams that are just beginning out, trying out spikes is look at the past three sprints. What's the average size for your points, right? Okay. Whether the, you know, if we're using Fibonacci, let's say it's a three or five or something like that. Okay. All your spikes, let's say it's a three, right? Your spikes 
are three points, right? It's just an average size story okay. that you're going to put in your uh, sprint. Now, over time, you might find out that you have a lot more capacity at the end of your sprint, right? You have some more time. You finish a day early. Well, that might mean you, if you're looking at your running spikes, you might be reducing the point size of your spike, your average point size uh, of your spike. So okay. instead of a three, you're now a two or a one or you know whatever it is. You reduce that number or you increase it, right? If it's taking up more time than you think, it's, you increase it, right? You adjust it as necessary. But when you first start out with pointing your spike, just put it as your average number and just make it take up some space in your uh, your velocity bucket yeah. you have. So then in every retrospective, it would be worth having a conversation probably about everything that we estimated. Do we still believe that these numbers were the right numbers or should they have been different for some reason? I believe that's a conversation I don't, for spikes specifically, like, or, or even bugs. Cause that's also the same. I was going to ask you, uh, if you if you estimate defects. Cause, <laughs> cause I know a lot of people that would sit like at their company, they're not allowed. Defects are just like the thing that you owe the company because you're human and you made a mistake. Right. Which I but think it's is still disturbing. some effort that you take up. Right. And yeah. if we look at points as effort, complexity, and risk, right. Effort being, it takes some, some amount of time yeah. Right. To do something. Um, I would just say that you're right. I would just say the same thing for, uh, for defects as well. Okay. Um, as far as the adjustment of the, the average points for uh, a spike or a defect. Yeah. It doesn't have to be every retro okay. to be like once just a month, once every, yeah. Yeah. Um, but for everything else, right. Um, for the point in normal story is right. If you missed the commitment of like what your average is, I'd like say, three-point story took us like the entire sprint, right? Yeah. We completely misestimated this thing, okay. right? When you go to retrospective, obviously you're going to look at that, but yeah. for, for spikes and, and defects specifically, I would say once a month, I would say, just make sure that uh, like it's a calibration right. Calibration check. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I kind of want to move on to the next part, but I want to see if there's anything we left out with estimation or we, could we cover it? It's, it's really, this is just two different ways of doing it, right? The first way, which is, Reducing the capacity of the team, yeah. right? Um, if the team's mature enough to understand that, that's great. If they're not, if they're still learning the ropes, show that everything takes some amount of effort, right? That we we use, and that way it it they don't have to think so much about reducing that number, the top number, um, that they can you know complete for a sprint. We can reduce that. Uh, we can reduce that in another way, which is putting it putting some value or putting some yeah. number on the story itself or spike itself. I think I, I also want to, one thing I want to challenge there is it's not just the maturity of the team. It could be the maturity of the organization. If the team could be mature enough to understand that, yeah, we're going to do less points because in the same way that you might do less points because you have people pairing up and that might take a little longer right now, or you're mobbing or whatever. Um, there's a perfectly valid explanation, but if you work at an organization that's still all bent around the axle of <laughs> every person must do this many points, then that's not the team's fault. That's the company's fault. Yeah, I would agree okay. Okay. with that. Yep. All right. So we're going to start talking about how spikes fit into base camps and how they would change as the team evolved through the different uh, stages or steps in the base camps. If anybody's not familiar with base camps, that's one of the ways that leading agile talks about the evolution of of teams and the evolutions of organizations as they move through different steps or stages within Agile. Um, and, and Steve, you jump in anytime I get any of this wrong. But Sure thing. 
But at base camp one, we're just trying to get a team to a place where it's a stable team that can make and meet commitments and has a well-formed backlog. Like just, that is correct. Yeah. just the very basics mm-hmm. um, to prove that they can do what they say they're going to do. Right. Building that trust within the organization that they can say they're going to do something and then commit to it and then actually deliver it in okay. a given time frame. And, and they're going to evolve to a state in base camp five, potentially where they are completely self-managing, making good choices, acting, you know, in the, in the best interest of the organization. And there's trust that they can do that. So you had this way of explaining this in terms of the city and the mountain. Could you, could you briefly talk about that? And then what I'm going to try to do is maybe guide us through different steps of the base camps and at least talk about how teams are changing and we can maybe kind of riff on different ways the spikes might evolve. Sure. So I have this analogy of there's a town and a mountain. Um, the town is the technique and the mountain is the journey through the base camps, right? Okay. So this town, right? The, this technique that you're learning, it's, it's very foreign to you at, at base camp zero, right? You're not even in the mountain yet. You're still in the town still trying to kind of get an idea of what is what is this thing about, right? Right. And as we progress through the base camps, right, we get to base camp one, you get to stop, you get to second to stop and breathe um, and understand what's been going on. So you can take a look at the city, the, the technique, for instance. Yeah. Um, and you can start seeing some things coming together, right? You can start seeing maybe more buildings than you were able to see before, right? As you get to base camps two, three, four, and even eventually five, right, you get a different view of that same technique along the mountain, right? That you can start seeing it in different ways. Okay. Once you get to that summit, once you get to that base camp five, you're looking at, you know, the whole city, everything, yeah. every how everything interacts with each other. Um, so you have this great understanding of how this technique works, but it's that journey of you just know a little bit more than you were before. Um, and, and you can apply it in different ways. You, can, yeah. you have a better understanding of what it is. Or, or so for an organization that's just getting started with agile, you know, they have people come in and kind of pitch it to them. And that's like when they're in the town, yeah, this will be awesome. And you're going to have all these things like um, continuous integration and test driven development and mob programming. And it sounds really cool and completely impossible at the same time, because their everything in their entire system is tightly coupled and the, their teams are all siloed. And um, as we move towards base camp one, it's like, here's one or two tools. Let's just do this. Let's get a team. Mm-hmm. Right? And then let's teach a team about a spike. And that's this weird tool that they don't understand. Like if, if you're going to take me mountain climbing, that's the spikes that I use to chop my way up the ice to get to the summit. Like I'm just going to impale myself with this thing. Like I, I just don't even want to hold it. Um, oh gosh, but, but well, as I get further up my view of, I'm assuming that my view of the summit, my opinion of the summit, my idea of agility is going to mature and evolve. And one by one, these tools become less threatening and imposing and they start to become part of how I flow and how I work. And then all of a sudden it's not a big deal anymore. Right. It's not. No. Um, I mean, some of the things that we get when we start maturing, right, we get that trust with the organization and that trust opens up a lot of opportunities for the team. So, so at, 
at base camp one, when the team is just first starting to use spikes, they probably have to be guided into when. I mean, I like this would be the. I, I feel like I can't remember how many times. Like, okay, this is the place where you do the spike. Like, this is when we talk about you know planning it into a sprint because we have this thing coming up that we don't understand. Um, and then I'm assuming when you get to like base camp, somewhere between one and two or maybe one and three, that's when you're kind of trying to get past the sophomoric use of it, where they just start like, oh, we should do a spike for this. Oh, we should do a spike for that. And it just becomes their like go-to play when they don't know what to do. Right. And and one of the things I, I teach the teams at, you know, the sophomoric use of, of spikes is, you know, all spike code that you write is put on a branch or thrown away. And that's, that's usually the um, thing that scares the teams the most. Because right? their work and their work is waste because we're not going to exactly. use it. Exactly. They, they don't see the value in the knowledge they gain from it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, that's that's what I, I teach is is you throw away at base camps one and two maybe even a little bit into three, yeah. um, you start you just it just it's going away right like this is not permanent you don't even abide by any of the coding standards right so if you have linting tools or you know test coverage requirements um, like that that's just we don't even consider that right now right it's going to go away and we're going to do it correctly after we do the spike. Um, Okay. I, want, I want to ask you a question with this. Chet Hendrickson said something to me one time in an interview we were talking and I, I don't remember where it was that he and Ron were working at the time, but they were doing one day sprints, like whatever you, you start at eight o'clock mm-hmm. had to be shippable by five. And if it wasn't, you threw every, all the code away is what Chet said. I'm like, I, I'm like completely flabbergasted when he tells me that um, because to me, you would just pick it up the next day and finish it. And he was saying, no, it was too complicated. And, at the time that didn't make sense, but talking to you about this now, suddenly it does kind of make sense because it's not just we're building the thing, but we're getting better at building things, right? Mm-hmm. Better at understanding, better at running spikes. So the fact that you're going to gain some knowledge, but you're going to be probably at this stage, your spikes are going to be a little bit clumsy. Yes, they will be. Okay. Um, and that's mm-hmm. okay, right? It's not a That's bad perfectly thing. fine. Yes. Because it's part of learning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And as you mature, as you get to, you know, a better understanding of, you know, other techniques as well, right? We're not just teaching spikes and saying, you know, we're going to teach you spikes from base camps one to five, and then we're going to the next topic, right? We're also learning other things like, you know, pattern, um, patterns, uh, refactoring, characterization, testing, all these different topics, right? As you're getting better at overall system building and system design, um, as you're getting better at just having uh, a lot more experience with all of these things, right? As we mature as a team in technical practices, the, the, the usage of a spike, the, what uh, I, I said at base camps one and two and even potentially three, uh, don't really apply in the later base camps, right? Four and five, you might not throw away your spike, right? It actually might become your story eventually, right? I know it's, it's a little bit scary. It's kind of weird what I've been saying before is, um, it's an experiment. Well, you've had better practices. You're, you're abiding by these principles and these, these rules that you have of like, I have to have this much test coverage. I have to, you know, linting rules that I have. You're just doing that. They become yeah, you know, second nature to you. You're, you're just, more proficient. You're better at it. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. you know, 
as time goes on, right? As as we get to the, the later base camps, you know, it with the autonomy that a team has, with the the value that they're producing, they understand what the value is that they bring to the organization. And they're in a high trust environment, right? They're completely autonomous. There we've localized their um their product, right? Yeah. To just that team. So they are in control of that value that they deliver. Okay. So they have this understanding and they run the spike and it's like, you know, they're, they're an hour into the spike and going, this is what we need. This is exactly what we need to do. Well, they might not have been writing tests because it's a spike, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of just get in there, right? We want to drive the spike in. Um, they can go and backfill because they have the understanding of how to do characterization testing, right? What the stuff that, you know, testing after the facts, uh, they have a good idea of how to do that. They've written their code in a good way that can be um, open to testing. Okay. And then from there, right, they can then do the rest of it with TDD and all those best practices as time goes on to finish the rest of the story out to complete the rest of the story. Okay. So I want to ask you some questions about this. So sure. just to, I want to rephrase some of it for the folks that are listening to make sure this is clear. So what we're talking about is the fact that as the team matures in its development practices and in its ability to move into a more agile state of working, that the way that they begin to use this tool is going to evolve and mature along with their skill. And each step of the way, they're demonstrating that they can be trusted with you know, to be more responsible. Like they, they take on more, they can, they can be more proficient. They stop throwing away their spikes. Everything they write is not something they can use or most of what they write, they can use. Um, there's two other parts of this that I want to just touch on. And one is that the organization or the environment of the systems in which they're working, they have to be evolving in step with the team. Like we couldn't expect a team there's one one company I work with that has so much technical debt that one of the teams doesn't know what's going to happen until they release. Like there's no way to tell. And oh I wouldn't expect, I know it's terrifying. <laughs> I would not <laughs> expect that team to be at, to be able to get to a base camp five level in that environment. The environment would have to change with them. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. okay. Yes. So, and through all of this, and this is something that I'm really curious about from a development kind of mindset, there is a belief that if the team shows up and grows and evolves, they will reach a level where they will rise up, take ownership of the thing because it's a natural thing to do, and the organization will create a space for them to do that. There's a trust that this will happen, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is the part where I think that sounds awesome. And there's a project manager in the back of my brain going, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> it, um, it, it happens. Yeah. Where, where they, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like the whole thing where people will just self-organize. And I really want to be like, yeah, but. Uh. Um, so what do you say to people like me when we're, we're not really ready to go full theory? Why yet, but we're still sort of in the, I think I have some theory X people I've worked with in the past. They couldn't get, is it possible that there's people that can't get there or that? There are, I mean, there? it is possible. Yeah. That, that people want to have um, more, more. Uh, that there control. are people that want to show up and be told what to do. 
or that there's there are that organizations too. that will not relinquish the control. I was looking at the organization side of the things, but yeah, there, okay. there's people that want to just be told, right? Okay. They, they have a nine to five and they just want to be told what to do. And that's perfectly content like for them, right? They're, they're perfectly content with that. Yeah. Um, there's organizations that, you know, they are not ready to be Basecamp 4, Basecamp 5 type organizations, right? They want to just have the trust that you can make and meet your commitment. They might only stay at Basecamp 1. Yeah. We I- have to adapt, right? Like if, if that's where they want to be, that's where they want to be, right? We can't um, force them to uh, be anything more than they want to be. Yeah. We can suggest and we can show um, ways to, you know, is what happens when we go to Basecamp 3, Basecamp 4 um, uh, of how, you know, local autonomy and, and the trust and all, all these great things that can happen. But if the organization's not ready to be there, it's not ready to be there. Yeah, I think to me, like I wanted to touch on that because that is one of the big selling points for me about, and I don't usually try to like promote <laughs> like sell leading agile, but I, this is to me, one of the best parts about the model is that like, if you get to a certain place and you're good, that's fine. If I don't want to climb to the top of the mountain, if I just want to go for a hike, that's cool. Like nobody's telling me I'm a half man because I won't climb up the you know sheet of ice all the way to the summit. If I'm good, going up to here, then that's, that's fine. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So there's this other way that we talked about this stuff with, with the organization, trusting the team. I want to just mention in case some of this stuff isn't sinking in for people. Um, I, I talk a lot in class about having a new team. It's, it's almost like you have a 17 year old. And you want to go away for the weekend and you want to trust that they're going to be responsible with the house. You leave a couple hundred dollars on the table so they can feed themselves and you hope that everything's going to go okay. But sometimes they throw a kegger and trash the China cabinet. Um, That's at the very beginning stages when the the organization doesn't really trust the team yet. That's maybe base camp one or before base camp one, right? Mm -hmm. And then they, they prove that they're trustworthy and then they get to a place in base camp five where the reason that they're not throwing the keg party and trashing the China cabinet is because they are seeing themselves as owners of the, of the house as well. And they do things to benefit the space in which we live. And that's where the development team is going to get to. Ideally is where we want to get them to. Yes. Okay. Is where they have ownership of the process and they can see that value. I love that analogy. That's a great analogy. Uh, I'm going to ask you, can I steal that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, the thing that I want to ask you about is um, I feel like a lot of people, especially it seems like with, with people with a development background, they get out of school and they come to work and somebody talks to them like, okay, you can sit here, only use the blue crayon, just draw here this way. And they're basically treated like they're you know a small child that's been licking a lead paint wall. And I mean, in a waterfall command and control environment, we're constricting their ability to make mistakes. We're trying to protect mm-hmm. the, everything from them. But this is the uh, total opposite extreme. This is we trust you, do awesome stuff. How do you, do you have any tips for people, like for anybody who's trying to coax developers or a development team out of that mindset they were shackled with when they were taught, don't be creative, don't think, just do what we tell you to do, to a place where they are rising up to this? So I'm going to, I'm going to go off of your analogy that you had um, with a 17 year old. I, okay. I, I'm, 
I'm going to say, you know, they're, they're 18 now they're going off to college, right? Bad things. And <laughs> lots of bad things can happen. If you, I remember it very fondly. Um, but the advice I have is you don't want to give it too, too much too soon. Right. And, and way I went to college now is when I went anyway, uh, I had all these freedoms. I thought they were freedoms um, yeah. <laughs> that I had, right. I could just do whatever I wanted anytime. Yep. Right. Um, it was too much freedom at once. I, <laughs> there's the freshman 15. I did the freshman 30. Right. Um, there was uh, times when, uh, you know, a party seemed better than studying. Right. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of bad things that can happen, uh, when you have too many things too fast, too many opportunities to learn at once. There you go. (laughs) I love it. Um, so gradual, right. If you want to move, it's, it's a gradual thing. Um, if you give it too soon or too much too soon, uh, there is, it could be a recipe for disaster. Um, there has to be that trust. Uh, well, you have to build a structure for trust, trust and a a structure for people to be responsible with all those freedoms and to learn how to rise to them. You can't just expect them to like jump up and do it. Right. All of it. Agreed. hundred percent. Okay, cool. All right. So, Spikes are something that they're a powerful tool that teams can use as teams mature in their ability to take on different agile practices. Um, they're the way that they use these tools is going to evolve. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to, can you talk a little bit about when they're at base camp five, like that, the whole idea of the, everything's an experiment. That's pretty much it. Like that everything you do is an experiment, right? The code that you deploy, you're deploying it very fast, even multiple times a day, right? You want to see how things work and interact. If you, if it affects your customer in a, in a correct way, you have these um, metrics that you're collecting off of your, your customer base. Is it what you're expecting to see? Yes or no. Okay. Well, if it isn't, let's go change it, figure out what we can do differently to get that metric in the way that we're expecting it to look. Okay. Um, Mm-hmm. So that's that's important as well because the, the instrumentation, like the, the things that we're looking at, is going to have to evolve along with this, along with our all of our practices. We're going to be looking at different things. I guess when you started talking about it and talking about releasing multiple times a day, I was thinking, you know, so we start out with just trying to be able to release like every two weeks, but then at the at the other extreme, um, we're taking much tinier steps, but learning more with each step. Mm-hmm. So we're building in inches instead of weeks, but we're building more and more yes. efficiently. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any final words on spikes? I think I'm all I'm all, all spiked, spiked out. out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this is great, man. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, they can do it uh, via email. It's just uh, stephen.cavalieri at leadingagile.com or by Twitter uh, at Steve Cavalieri. Okay, so I'm going to put links to all that um, in the show notes for this um, and links to some of the stuff on the Leading Agile website about spikes, but not all of it, because our understanding of spikes has evolved as well. And I want to make sure we get to the good stuff. So um, thank you. Thank you very much for doing this, man. Hey, thanks for having me. (laughs) 